0: Former Pennsylvania State Senator Roy Afflerbach speaks about the influence of money in politics and how he was able to overcome the challenges of raising funds from his constituents by reframing his request.
1: What I was really doing was asking them to invest in the possibility of moving their ideas forward in public policy. And that made it a lot easier. Uh, but the truth of the matter is that nothing breeds uh, support like winning. And so after that first race, from that point on, I really didn't have any difficulty... Uh, Raising funds.
0: Stay tuned for more from former Pennsylvania State Senator Roy Affleck. Hello and welcome to Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we have been interviewing politicians, activists, advocates, and others since 2016 with the intention of ennobling public service, creating a platform for positive civil discourse, and facilitating dialogue with difference. This show is the antidote for those who are tired of hearing about what's going wrong with the world We showcase people just like you who are working to leave the world better than they found it. And that's good news. And now a word from former President John F. Kennedy with his views on public service. Ask not
1: what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country.
0: I'll remind you that this show is made possible by viewers like you. If you appreciate what we're doing here at Public Interest Podcast and enjoy this episode, please contribute $1 at publicinterestpodcast.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show.
2: We're here today with Roy Afflerbach, a former Pennsylvania state senator, a Democrat who served in the state Senate from 1987 to 1998. He's also a former Pennsylvania state representative, the former mayor of Allentown, Pennsylvania. And interestingly, he's a former state Senate staffer. Uh, so he previously served as staff or he later was elected. Roy is the former president of County Cabs and is a former United States Air Force uh, public servant. So, Roy, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing?
1: Well, it's my pleasure, Jordan, and thank you for having me. Uh, as your introduction indicated, I've been involved in public service to one degree or another for all of my adult life. In fact, it began uh, back in uh, 1960 when I served as one of the Kennedy kids uh, for Jack Kennedy's campaign for president of the United States. I was a sophomore in high school at the time, and one would say that the public service uh, bug bit me at that point, and I stayed active from that point onward.
2: How did you get involved with being a Kennedy kid? Did you how did you get in, did, did you know someone in the Jack Kennedy campaign?
1: I did not at that point, but obviously the Democratic Party in the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania was recruiting uh, volunteers, and they happened to have made some sort of a visit to our high school. I don't remember just how that came about, and uh, I was not at that particular meeting, but friends of mine were, and uh, they came to see me and asked whether or not I would be interested in uh, joining, and I did uh, simply because they were my friends. The more I learned about uh, Jack Kennedy, the more involved I became. But here's another interesting tidbit for you. Uh, it, the bug had bitten me so well that by the time I was a senior two years later, uh, my friends in the high school elected me as mayor for a day, which was a program that we had with our local municipality. So if one could say I became uh, really bitten by the bug. Was that in Allentown? Uh, no, it was in the, the East Penn School District in the borough of Emmaus, which was uh, runs adjacent to the city of Allentown.
2: Interesting. So you were a mayor for a day around 1960, and then 40 years later in 2002, you were mayor of Allentown. So just a a four-decade gap in your uh, mayoral responsibilities there.
1: Uh, Yes, that's true. And in between is when I uh, served in the State House and the State Senate. So I I took the reverse path of most elected officials. Many elected (laughs) officials, if not most of them, begin with a local office and work their way up. I started uh, somewhat at the intermediate level with the State House and then the Senate, and then came back and again uh, responded to my friends who asked that I run for mayor of Allentown. I told them I would do so, but only for one term, because I had already retired from the Senate at that point. I was ready to go on and, uh, with my consulting firm.
2: Yeah, why did you decide to re- did not seek re-election in 1998 to the State Senate? I know that you started a lobbying firm. You've been working on ending animal cruelty Clearly, those are issues that you could have been effective uh, advocating for as a state senator. Why did you feel like you wanted to transition to being a lobbyist?
1: Well, actually, in 1998, uh, the toughest decision I probably have made for my personal uh, self in in uh, elected office was whether or not to run for a fourth term for the Senate, which would have been record-setting had I won because I would have been the only Democrat in a century to have held that seat for four terms, or to run for Congress. Uh, I had not intended to run for Congress, however, our incumbent congressman decided to retire without providing any advance notice to anyone, and so we had a complete vacancy with no one in line ready to step up and run. I looked at that and said, you know, I did not want to have an empty uh, slot in front of me on the ballot. I was also sitting in the minority in the Senate, state Senate, for a number of years, and that's no fun at all. So I thought, well, uh, we'll either go up or out and uh, made a run for Congress. Interestingly enough, uh, by the time the primary elections were finished, as you might imagine, it was a wide open field once the seat became open. Um, Now Senator Pat Toomey won the uh, fall election. So Pat and I have known each other for quite some time. And in fact, uh, many of my friends in the Democratic Party still hold me accountable for having Pat advance to where he is right now.
2: Uh Uh-huh. And and, uh, so so Pat and you had worked together in the state legislature and... uh... You're a Democrat, and and he's uh, – what party is Pat Toomey?
1: Uh, Pat is a Republican, but we did not work together in the state legislature. Uh, he was a businessman uh, in the city of Allentown in the Lehigh Valley uh, who chose to run for Congress when the seat opened up in 1998. And, and that's when we first uh, came to know one another.
2: And why do your friends hold you responsible? Because you didn't beat them?
1: Well, that's correct. Yeah. They <laughs> and of course the ones
2: <laughs> who didn't uh, vote you. They should have gotten to the ballot.
1: Well, of course, it's all in good humor at this point, but uh, the good news about it is that while Pat and I had a spirited campaign, we've been able to work together uh, across the aisle uh, all the time that he's in office. He uh, served six years in Congress and then kept his word to not seek a uh, a fourth term. He he term-limited himself and then came back a little bit later uh, after he left the Club for Growth to run for the uh, United States Senate. And of course, now is in his second term, having just been reelected in about uh, 2016.
2: Interesting. So, so you ran for Congress and then you lost, and two yeah. years later, or a few years later, I guess four years later, you ran. You were asked to run for mayor of Allentown. So it was just there was one, and only for for one term. Was there some crucial, some issue that uh, residents of Allentown requested your assistance with? How did they recruit you?
1: Well, they recruited me, and and I learned also, uh, Jordan, that if you keep saying no to your friends over a period of time, they stop talking to you. Uh, They had been talking to me for several years about running for mayor of Allentown because they felt uh, there were two things I could do. The one was to provide leadership uh, in certain areas where the city needed leadership, and the other was, because of my uh, long-term connections to state government, I could probably bring state resources to assist the city. So uh, that's why I ended up running for mayor, but I agreed to do it on the basis that I would serve only one term. Now, only my closest friends knew that, of course. You don't uh, make a lame duck of yourself the same time you're running. But uh, by the time uh, we finished, I was able to have accomplished a couple of those goals, one of which was to upgrade the police department and have it becoming a nationally certified police department, which I thought was absolutely essential for the third largest city in the commonwealth. And, of course, a couple of the other things were just putting the city on good financial footing uh, because I had the misfortune of becoming mayor just after the 9-11 attacks. And as people recall, the economy began to tank somewhat immediately thereafter, and the mid-sized cities were uh, considerably affected by that. So we had a a tough few years, and I had to do the trifecta that I'm pretty much assured I probably would not have been reelected anyway, and that was uh, to raise taxes twice, uh, condense programs, and unfortunately have to lay off personnel, at least for a short period of time. So so you were
2: somewhat uh, asked to run in order to bring more pork, more special projects and, and state funding back to Allentown. And then you come into office and you see the economy tanked, as you say, after the September 11th attacks. And contrary to bringing more fund, state funds back to the to Allentown, you had to raise taxes and do public layoffs uh, and, and consolidate programs. Were you ever able to get any state funds for special projects in Allentown? Or was it really only about implementing the opposite of what many of your supporters had hoped that you would be able to accomplish?
1: Well, it wasn't so much about bringing state funds back to Allentown. There's a number of different ways in which you can achieve state support and federal support. And in fact, uh, we were able to do that, and those ways helped with things such as technical assistance. Uh, The city was in in drastic need of technical assistance in a number of different areas. And you could start with the park programs and look across recreation and so forth, right up to, as I mentioned, the police department. So simply obtaining technical assistance was a critical element. And again, because of these kinds of connections, I was able to bring in a police chief um, who had served in Chicago as well as Washington, D.C., and several inspectors uh, to help put our police department in in, uh, proper condition. Um, They were loaned to me, actually, again, by Chicago and from Washington, D.C., simply because we knew the chiefs in both of those cities and were able to structure some assistance in that way. And I would also say from the Pennsylvania State Police. Uh, My deputy chief was actually a former deputy uh, director for the Pennsylvania State Police, and we brought him in, and that's how we rebuilt the police department. So
2: what were some of the – you said you upgraded the police department and you were able to rebuild it, and that seems like one of the hallmarks of your tenure as mayor. Uh, What were some of the challenges facing the police department? It seems like eastern Pennsylvania is probably not the most dangerous uh, part of the United States. What, it, what, what uh, sort of issues were facing the police department at the time?
1: Well, we had a number of really tough issues. The first is that the equipment was not up to par where it needed to be for modern policing. The techniques utilized had not been upgraded for modern policing. We are in the corridor that runs from Philadelphia to Boston, and we became one of the local uh, trading areas, if you will, for all of the types of illicit activity, from drugs to firearms and so forth. Because most people thought, just as you've indicated, the city of Allentown, somewhere you know, in a sleepy backwater area of the state, so to speak, with not a great deal of crime, not a great deal of police activity, good safe place to trade in contraband. So those were the challenges facing us, and including training and upgrading of uh, the command officers themselves, uh, which we did again through contacts that we had by sending them to the FBI Academy, sponsored programs, and things of that nature. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I'd like to go back to your very beginnings of your of your path in public service, not quite all the way back to high school, but after you left the U.S. Air Force, um, eventually you became a staffer in the state senate and uh, an entrepreneur uh, running your own cab company. Could you speak about that evolution from uh, being a businessman and being a, uh, a staffer in the state legislature to deciding to run for state rep uh, for the first time in 1982?
1: Sure, and truthfully, I became the owner of the cab company uh, because it was for sale in the small town of Emmaus, the small borough of Emmaus. Uh, That particular company served primarily a number of elderly individuals who needed transportation to get to the doctor and to get to grocery stores and so forth. I looked at it as a way to enter a small business opportunity and at the same time continue to provide what I consider to be an extremely valuable public service for the area and keep prices at a rate that these seniors uh, could afford. I think most of my life, uh, Jordan, actually has been dedicated to trying to provide opportunities for individuals so that they can in some way or another better their lives. And I viewed the cab service as one of those opportunities. It was not anything I intended to do for the rest of my life. And then uh, I did a couple of other things along the way, uh, including uh, being a reporter and editor for a a small weekly newspaper also in that area uh, to help bring the local news to the folks uh i was very active in politics after the kennedy campaign Uh, i then decided that i liked that and stayed with it when i came back from the air force Uh, it was not long thereafter i was involved in the bobby kennedy campaign for uh, president and then involved myself in some local campaigns ran for office the first time for the state house in 1970 i lost in the primary but the candidate who was running for the state senate asked if i would manage the campaign because he and his friends were uh, sufficiently impressed with the progress we had made in my own campaign, and that's really what launched me into becoming a staff member in the uh, state senate.
2: Wow. So you ran for an office and lost, but you impressed uh, an individual in the the senate race, and so he just picked you up and brought you with him.
1: Uh, Yeah, that's correct, and that was on a part-time basis as well, because I didn't want to give up some other uh, things I was doing at the time. And then it eventually transferred to a full-time basis when he became majority whip and uh, asked if I would serve as his chief of staff in the majority whip's office and then later the majority leader's office. And uh, that's how that all came about. In the meantime, however, uh, I actually lost five races, the first five I ran. And they were for different offices, but every one of them I looked at as a learning experience. And then lo and behold, uh, after that I won some 18 or 20 in a row. How did you have the stamina
2: to run a sixth time? after having lost the first five? Well,
1: as I said, I viewed it as a uh, learning opportunity. And I think one of the uh, uh, most effective learning opportunities that one has when one loses is, okay, what did the winning candidate do or what did the winning candidate have in terms of resources that we didn't do or didn't have? And we developed a method. This was long before computers, of course. We're talking about early 1970s now. And we developed a method by which we could identify frequency voters with enough volunteers to be able to go into the voter registration offices and literally go through the uh, documents one at a time and hand copy out the names and addresses of these frequency voters. And in that targeting process, which everyone does today because they can do it with computers, uh, we were able to gain the, um, the, the edge that we needed to be able to overcome the money that was being spent against us.
2: Was it difficult to continue going back to your same friends and your same neighbors and your same supporters asking for campaign contributions time and again after you had lost so many races?
1: Well, we never really asked for a lot of campaign contributions. Uh, my, My goal was that with the right people and enough volunteers, we could make up for what we didn't have in money. And by today's standards, of course, it seems like we spent almost nothing. Uh, But fundraising was always a difficult part for me. It's always been uh, tough for me to go and ask people simply to make a contribution on the hope that we might win. Uh, I began to adopt the concept that what I was really doing was asking them to invest in the possibility of moving their ideas forward in public policy. And that made it a lot easier. Uh, But the truth of the matter is that there's nothing breeds uh, support like winning. And so after that first race, from that point on, I really didn't have any difficulty uh, raising funds for local races, state house races, state senate races. At the congressional race, that was a different story. I was outspent, I think, five to one in that congressional race.
2: And uh, do and you think – so I'd like to ask you about the influence of political expenditures on the electorate. Uh, clearly, there's a correlation between sending uh, – well, spending money politically i like to ask you how how it was spent on that congressional race i presume television ads and radio ads and uh, ads in newspapers and then maybe paid canvassers and paid phone bankers uh... and 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 uh... getting that narrative out there and that voters will based on name recognition uh... primarily will will vote that person in is there any antidote to uh... uh... tackling uh... the influence of money in politics Is there any way that uh, you can get yourself out there and make candidates competitive who don't have as much money?
1: Today, that's extraordinarily difficult in the higher-profile offices. In the more local offices, uh, school boards, uh, city councils, uh, that sort of thing, uh, even the mayor's office in the smaller cities or the boroughs, uh, yes, you can overcome money. First of all, not a lot of candidates will spend a considerable amount of money in those races, and having volunteers do the old-fashioned legwork of door-to-door and the candidate themselves doing door-to-door uh, can clearly win those elections because there's, you're not going up against millions and millions of dollars. But when you're looking at a state senate race today in Pennsylvania, you're looking at, especially in a competitive race, you're looking at a half-a-million-dollar run. Now, that's considerably higher than it was when I was running for those offices. If you're looking at a congressional race uh, in Pennsylvania, you're looking at several millions of dollars uh, per candidate. It's virtually impossible to overcome that unless you've got at least a similar amount of money. Because today, uh, as I said earlier with computers and the ability to move data around that rapidly, uh, to buy your television ads, uh, newspaper ads are hardly available anymore. The newspaper industry has taken such a hit and, and slipped down. So it requires the money to be able to just get your name out and get your ideas out. Going door to door is hard to match, again, five or six mailers coming in uh, through the Postal Service from the opposition or watching television commercials, 30-second television commercials over and over and over again for weeks before the election. So the basic answer to your question is that the uh, until we find a way to better address this issue of the overabundance of money in politics, we're going to continue to have a tough time.
2: What would you say to voters who are appalled by the influence of money in politics, and they are subjected uh, themselves, to receiving the mail and to seeing the ads, what would you suggest to them that they do in order to overcome the influence of money and to try to help themselves uh, select the candidate who would best represent their own interests?
1: What they really must do is become active themselves, not as a candidate, but in willingness to leave their home go to public meetings where candidates are speaking, get to know the candidates firsthand in that fashion, uh, pay attention as much as they can to whatever the media is reporting, uh, radio, television, uh, newspapers where they still exist and have a general circulation. And they have the ability, the voters that have the ability to change changes if they pay attention and become active. Uh, I would have to say in many ways, uh, the election of President uh, Trump has been one of the best things that could happen to our democracy. Because it has focused for people just how important it is to pay attention to these elections. And in fact, the uh, Supreme Court decision in Pennsylvania to um, change the congressional district lines within a few weeks uh, has been extremely important also in focusing for people how important it is to pay attention to judicial elections. So... The only recourse that the public has at this point is they themselves need to pay attention and become active, and if they do, they have the power of the vote, and that can make the changes.
2: Now, you just mentioned the gerrymandering case that has been before the Supreme Court. Uh, Could you speak about what your views are on, and actually what's going on in Pennsylvania with this gerrymandering case?
1: Well, after the last census, uh, the Republicans, hold both the uh, chambers of of the legislature and, of course, uh, the the congressional districts are set by a piece of legislation that is then sent uh, uh, to the governor's office. And the districts uh, were gerrymandered, and there's no better word for it, in such a way that uh, all sorts of the normal basic rules were broken. Uh, Some of those districts are the most Uh, tortured looking combinations of trying to get the votes together uh, to be able to preserve incumbents or to be able to design a district in a certain way that a certain party will be able to win. Now there's nothing particularly new about that, but it has been becoming increasingly egregious in the way in which it is done. And frankly there were a number of um, redistribution uh, districts that were drawn by other individuals that were much more fair along the line. Uh, people have asked for the last several years, why is it the Democrats can win statewide in Pennsylvania, but in the congressional races they have 13 Republicans and only five Democrats out of the 18 seats? And the answer is because you can't, you can't gerrymander a statewide election. But it was very clear that the congressional districts were in fact gerrymandered. The Supreme Court finally heard a case that has taken all these years to be able to get the dean on this, and they have said yes, there's no question about the fact that this violates our state constitution. It violates a number of other issues. And by and large, uh, the legislature has a certain deadline by which to redraw the districts, more reasonable, or the court itself will do it. Well, the legislature uh, chose not to do that, which is no surprise to me. And so the court, in fact, did follow through with what it said it would do and has redrawn the districts. As one looks at the map now, it appears to be a much more reasonable distribution of the districts across the Commonwealth. There's never going to be a map that doesn't favor one party or the other in individual districts. It's just the manner in which the voters themselves are distributed. Uh, But this one clearly looks like it's a lot more competitive, which is what the state itself is, uh, than the previous, uh, or I should say the present, still existing districts.
2: Now, there have been articles, uh, particularly in the New York Times that have suggested that we abolish, um, uh, individual congressional districts and have all congressional candidates run statewide. In fact, one article referenced, uh, Pennsylvania as having been one of the states, uh, in the early, uh, years of the American Republic, uh, that, that, uh, bounced back and forth between having multiple congressional districts and having congressional candidates run statewide back to districts, back to statewide, and then finally settling with districts. Do you have any thoughts on the merits or demerits of having candidates run statewide for Congress, particularly within the context of the conversation we just had about the need for money to increase markets and to access more voters, and, of course, how running statewide would be a more expensive proposition for congressional candidates?
1: Well, it certainly would be a more expensive proposition, and that, of course, uh, would require a whole lot more money than they're spending individually in the districts now. But there's a greater issue than that, I think, and that issue is this. If you have statewide elections for all of the, in Pennsylvania's case, 18 congressional seats plus the two United States senators, you essentially will have the high population urban areas driving the election for every one of these individuals. It's much like the argument about the uh, Electoral College. There's a reason for that, whether one likes it or doesn't like it. And the reason very clearly is to make sure that the less populated states have at least some reasonable fair shot in helping to choose the president as opposed to having only the most populous states completely overwhelm every election. I fear that's exactly what would happen if we had candidates run statewide for all of the 18 congressional seats plus the two United States senators. Um, Some people might look at me and say, yes, but the Democrats win statewide. you would be able to control the seats. Uh, We would, but that's not necessarily the best thing for the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Interesting.
2: So a Democrat who says that Democrats taking over the state of Pennsylvania might not be in the public interest. Let me ask you something. What is the purpose of the Democratic Party, particularly within Pennsylvania?
1: I I believe the purpose of the Democratic Party uh, continues to be what it was involved back in 1960 and that is that we like to focus on the issues of justice and opportunity for individuals of all levels in all classes if you will uh, no matter what their um, background may be no matter what their ethnicity may be uh, we believe at least I think we still believe sometimes it's hard to say when one works nationally but in Pennsylvania as you asked Uh, We believe that truly we have a very diverse state, we have a diverse party in the Democratic Party, and we like to be able to promote the concept of opportunity. Government can't solve individual problems, but government can in fact provide opportunity for people to solve their own problems, to educate themselves, and to be able to increase the economic drive of the state itself. I think that's where the Democratic Party stands.
2: Well, uh, thank you for answering that question, Roy. And as we approach the end of this podcast episode, I'd like to ask you one final two-part question. I'd like to ask you to speak to the people of Allentown and the people of your former districts, uh, state uh, representative and state senate districts uh, in Pennsylvania, I'd like you to speak about your motivations for public service throughout the course of your life and at the end of your time in public service, what you hope your legacy will be.
1: I believe that from day one, my interest in public service was, as I mentioned earlier, to be able to provide people with the opportunity to better their life, however that may be, whether it means a better education or a better job or a better living condition, uh, whatever it is. I think government serves as the arbiter to make sure that limited resources are divided uh, as equally as possible in terms of the opportunity of people to access those resources. And if we don't continue in that path, uh, then we end up in a situation where we have unlimited demands among unlimited resources, and those resources are being, unfortunately, uh, divided up in a way that does not provide opportunity to everyone. So that's the first message I'd like to say. The second message is that I don't know that I will ever be done uh, with public service until uh, the day I cast my last breath. And I would like my legacy to be simply, he tried. As simple as that, he tried.
2: And that has been Roy Afflerbach, former Pennsylvania state senator, state representative, mayor of Allentown, uh, and a lifelong public servant who speaks about uh, his use of the Democratic Party not as an end to itself but as a means to the end of advancing the public interest. He describes the Democratic Party in Pennsylvania as one in which just in an opportunity, the opportunity for people to be able to solve their own problems is promoted. He uh, speaks about uh, the recent, uh, relatively recent election of President Trump as being one of the most important things to help our democracy by uh, focusing people's attention on the real impact of their decisions to either vote or not vote uh, and uh, the uh, actual effects of the democratic process. Uh, Ultimately, uh, Roy, as he mentioned, says uh, he wishes to be remembered as a man who tried. Uh, And that's all ultimately any of us could do, and I hope by listening to this episode, each of you may be inspired to do, as Roy suggests, which is to become active, attend meetings, meet candidates, do candidate research, and volunteer in campaigns. Take ownership of your democracy. And if there's any message, I think, that Roy's life and experiences seeks to convey to you, the listener, uh, it is that. Take ownership of your democracy. So, Roy, I'd like to thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you, Jordan, and thanks to your listeners. (laughs)
0: This has been another episode of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. I'll remind you to subscribe on publicinterestpodcast.com, iTunes, or your favorite podcast listening platform. And please join the conversation by calling 240-630-0380 or emailing engage at publicinterestpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.